Well, my message this morning is about commitment. And as we were singing all those songs and about surrendering our hearts and giving ourselves totally to Him, and if you'd have been at our pre-service prayer time, the words that came forth there about, you know what, we just need to be cleansed, we need to be emptied, we need to be rebuilt, what Lord put on Glenn's heart to share here. And uh, I'm reading and listening to those songs and singing those songs, and I'm thinking, boy, oh boy, oh boy, either God has a plan for today or Samantha saw my sermon notes before she picked the music because I know she saw them afterwards. She stole them during adult Sunday class. But commitment, it's a word that we could use. And, and you know, if if I wanted to, and it's certainly not my desire, it's a word we could use as a big hammer to pound on a bunch of people. That's not the case at all. That's not my heart at all. This, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be legalistic. But I want to be biblical. And when we look at commitment, at first I'm going to start in a very unspiritual way from the dictionary. Commitment, the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, to an activity, or to a person. Some synonyms for that word commitment would be dedication, devotion, allegiance, loyalty, and faithfulness. All strong, powerful words in their own right. A secondary definition would be a pledge or an undertaking. A commitment where we make a pledge. Like marriage vows, for example. When we make a pledge, when we do these things, synonyms there, a vow, a promise, a pledge, or an oath. And a a third definition for commitment was this, an engagement or obligation that restricts freedom or actions. You know, if you read that, it could almost put a negative spin to that. But when we make a commitment to something, it restricts in another area what it is we could or should be doing. Because if we're committed to this, it restricts my behavior over here. Something very simple, very worldly that we, most of us experience. Think of an athlete. An athlete who is committed to their trade, to their, to their sport. And, and you can tell, man, when, there's, when an athlete that's a superstar rises to the top, if we knew the backdrop or we knew the story behind them, you know, we all say, boy, I wish I was them. And then we have to realize, do you know what they went through to develop those skills, to hone those skills? Do you know what they have to endure? Do you realize the commitment it takes to get to that level in their area of expertise? And when I start to see some of these and some of these sports heroes, if you would, man, oh, man, do they pay a price. They pay a price. And it's that same way at every level. And there's other areas of our life where, where you want to really excel. You've got to really put in the work. Commitment. And to excel, we realize, you know what? It would be, which would be way more fun? Going out and partying with my friends or going to the weight room and pumping iron? Well, to my flesh, that's a no-brainer. But if I am committed, it's also a no-brainer. Commitment. So I'm going to talk about commitment today. What is it in our lives that's important enough for you and I to be committed to it? And this is more than just a personal observation, but it's at least that. Commitment is becoming an endangered species in our culture. People are becoming less and less committed to anything. The divorce rate among people that get married, and you notice I have to state it that way, because some statistics show the divorce rate's going down. You know why? 
People aren't getting married. They're just living together. There's a fear of commitment. There's a commitment, lack of commitment in marriages. They end in divorce. There's a lack of commitment or a fear of commitment in people who are truly in love with one another, but they just choose to live together instead of getting married. They don't want to get divorced. There's a, a lack of commitment and brand loyalty. You know, it's interesting how many millions, billions, or trillions of dollars are spent by companies that are marketing products to try to develop brand loyalty. There used to be amazing brand loyalty. But the reason they're after spending trillions and trillions of more dollars is it's less and less. Statistics and, and, and polling shows that in some cases there's 60%, 70% less product loyalty, brand loyalty in people today compared to just 10, 15 years ago. Lack of commitment. The lack of, the lack of people that are not willing to join an organization. Become a member of things such as a church, for example, but other organizations. You know, I want to attend. I really like it. It's, I enjoy going and being involved, but I'm not sure I want to be committed. Because being involved and being committed are two different things. And less and less people are willing to commit and become actively active participants, committed to different organizations. And just to bring it to a very practical level that we probably all experienced, people are less and less committed to follow through to what they say is a commitment. How many people say, yes, I'll be there? Yes, I plan on coming. And they just don't show up. They don't even give it a second thought. They don't even feel bad about it. They don't worry about what all the preparation that might have went in on the other end. They don't think this way. Their intent isn't to be mean or bad or evil or nasty. That's not their intent. They just don't even think the way people used to think about a commitment. So we are really swimming upstream against our culture when we talk about commitment. You know, people even fear commitment in those areas and those things that absolutely require commitment for them to work. I've already mentioned marriage, but that would be a great example. Raising our children requires commitment. There are so many things, even even good, intimate relationships with friends. It's changed so dramatically. We can come up with excuses, we're all too busy, whatever. What all that is is a new way of phrasing, uh, it's not worth it, I'm not going to commit to it. So even relationships, friendships are different. For them to really work, it requires a level of commitment that most people aren't making today. A commitment to be truly disciples, followers of Jesus. You know, we did a study church-wide, I can't remember how long ago, a couple years, times go so fast, but it was on a book called Not a Fan. If you've been around for a while, you remember the book. I know one of our life groups is doing it right now. But the whole premise was, I'm not a fan of Jesus. I remember when I first told my mom that one day up at their house. Not a fan of Jesus. She looked at me like I'm going to be struck by lightning. We're called to be followers of Jesus. 
And to be a follower requires commitment. God wants us to make commitments in our life that bring glory and honor to him because one of the reasons he wants that is it brings blessing upon our own lives. When we are committed to things, it's not just a one-way deal. When we are truly committed, we also receive blessings from him. You know, when Jesus came to earth, we all know the stories. and He was born as a virgin and born of a virgin. He was born as one too. <laughs> Lived a sinless life, went to the cross and died for our sins. But you know that, that time frame in there, those three years of his ministry, his primary mission was go find followers. Go find those who will become committed followers. You notice when he called people, he didn't go into this, well, do you really believe in me? Do you really know who I am? Do you really understand who I am? He just said, follow me. Follow me. And there was an understanding in that culture when a Jewish person was going to follow someone, a rabbi, a teacher, and the teacher would say to some young one who wanted to be taught by him, he says, follow me. To be a disciple of a rabbi, you followed them. You spent time with them. You did what they did. You learned from them. You were committed to them. Jesus called his disciples with those words, follow me. And his calling isn't any different. It's follow me. When I do pre-marriage counseling, one of the lines that they'll hear and read as I stress this point, one of the highest expressions of love is commitment. One of the highest expressions of love is commitment. If I truly tell you I love you, I'm committed to you. I am committed to our relationship. Whether it's a friendship or it's my spouse, I am committed to you. I truly love you. When we say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you, it means we're committed to him. We commit ourselves to him. Jesus committed or exhibited that type of commitment to us when he went to the cross. John 3.16, one of the most memorized verses in all of Scripture. Here it is. A statement of total commitment. God so loved the world. He was so committed to the world. He was so committed to us. He was so committed to restoring us to right relationship with him that he sent his only son to die on a cross. He gave everything. He gave it all. He gave his very life. That's commitment. Committed. How do we respond to that kind of love and that kind of commitment? Jesus expressed it over and over and over. Follow me. If you love me, you will. If you love me, you will. If you say you love me, you will. Commitment. It's what he wants from us, and he demonstrated it true, true to us. The reality is, true love for God and commitment to God are inseparable. They go together. If we say we truly love God, but we're not committed to him, we're lying. 
They're inseparable. And His love for us and His commitment to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's commitment. He's all in. He is all in. Are we all in? That's what He wants. Are you all in? It's what He keeps asking, what He keeps implying. When Jesus called His disciples, He just simply said, follow Me. Follow Me. And it sounds so easy unless we understand what it means to follow Him. It's not just a game that we play, like follow the leader. It's saying, you know what? I am all in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow Jesus. And Jesus, when he made that statement, it's interesting because when he gave his recruiting message, it wouldn't be very good in our culture. For example, I'm going to read in Luke chapter 14, verses, starting at verse 27. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it. All who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and he wasn't even able to finish. And it goes on and talks about when a king goes to war, who doesn't calculate the cost? What's it, can, do I have enough people to, to come against the enemy? Counting the cost. Not the typical recruiting message we're hearing today, especially amongst religious leaders. Please come and join our church. It's going to cost you everything. You've got to die to self. You've got to pick up your cross and carry it every day. You've got to surrender everything in your life to Him. Jesus needs to become the first priority in your life. Please come and join our church. God's called you to do the work of building the kingdom. He's called you to go out into the highways and byways of the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Please come and join our church. Contrast that to what we hear so often, especially some of these mega church pastors. Come and find the fulfillment of your life. True. It's going to cost you everything. You have the potential to be all that you ever dreamt you could possibly be. Well, true, if it costs you everything. But we don't hear that part. We just hear, come on. We got the best programs, we got the biggest building, we got the fanciest equipment you can and our worship team is to die for. They could make recordings and sell millions of albums. Come and join our church. Let me come, come and tickle let me tickle your ears every Sunday for 35 40 minutes. I'm going to tell you everything you want to hear. Please come. That's not Jesus message. There was one article I was reading this week and it was an old-time pastor and his words to his replacement were, keep your church as small as you can possibly keep it. But he didn't mean what we hear there. His point was, preach the message. It's going to cost you everything. You're going to deny self. You're going to pick up your cross and you're going to carry it every day. Preach that message so when your church, no matter how big it becomes, is filled with followers, committed Christians, committed followers of Jesus Christ. Golly, today that message doesn't, I mean, come to our church. We got the best coffee. We do. (laughs) But I hope that's not why you come to this church. We've got the friendliest people. That's great. But I hope that's not why you come to this church. 
I hope you come to this church because you know that the Lord has called you and drawn you to come and be a part of a body of Christ that wants to glorify him and bring honor and glory to him, who wants to expand the kingdom of God, who wants to live in the kind of freedom that he died for so that others would be drawn to that same Jesus, that they might experience salvation in Jesus Christ, that they may discover what the abundant life is in Christ. That's why I hope you're part of this church. Because anything else will provide opportunities and reasons for you to leave. There can be so many disappointments if you rely on anything else except your calling by Jesus and your commitment to follow him and he's chosen to bring you to this place. Commitment. You know what? There is no way to follow Jesus without him interfering and messing up your life. I would go so far as to say if since you decided to follow Jesus, your life hasn't been messed up, you might want to check out and see are you really following or are you just trying to be involved. There's no way. He is going to mess up your life. You know, it doesn't matter how cluttered my house is. I'm comfortable with the clutter. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm cleaning that mess up. You're not going to like it. It's going to be uncomfortable at first. But the blessings that will abound will cause you to forget and count all that other stuff as loss for the glory that's available in knowing who he is. Just think about the 12 disciples when he called them. What'd they do? Let's negotiate. What's this going to cost me? What do you mean, follow you? Do I really have to do this, do this, do this, do this? I mean, let's get out a contract so I know what I'm agreeing to first. No. It says, follow me. They dropped what they were doing, and they followed him. When Jesus called you and me, and he says, follow me. Now, that doesn't mean we all have to walk away from jobs or our homes, but that does mean the priority list had better change considerably. I am now number one in your life. I expect you to remember that. Be committed to me. John chapter 6, verse 66. I don't think it's a coincidence. It's 666, actually. I hate it. Even when I look at my notes, I see that 666. For those of you who don't know, the mark of the beast, the sign of the enemy, supposedly. But you know what? When you read what the verse is, it's like, okay. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that that's the 666 verse, but that's what the enemy, Jesus had just finished a teaching. And if a teaching of Jesus, who manifested love, had the effect of driving people away, why should we be surprised when you preach the word it might drive people away? It was a difficult teaching. He says they just didn't understand it. It was a teaching about the bread of life. And there was a big crowd, big crowds, great big crowds. And it was like Jesus was trying to drive them away. Not a very good recruiter. He says this to his disciples that are still there. He says, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? He's asking, are you committed? Everybody else is leaving. 
they're probably going to think you're crazy if you don't leave too. And Simon Peter steps up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Is that worth being committed to? I'm not even sure how much understanding he had of the words he just spoke when we see what, how everything played out. But that's who you're making a commitment to, the Holy One. Where else can we go? What are you committed to? And I hope there's other things in your life you're committed to. But number one still needs to be Jesus. Everything else falls under that. Luke, in Luke chapter 9, he reiterates what I already read from chapter 14. He says this, If anyone would come after me, he must, must, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him, Jesus, when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and all the holy angels. That is a radical commitment. And we call it a radical commitment, but the reality is that should be the normal commitment when it comes to Christ. Where else are we going to go besides him? What else can we count on besides him? But radical, sold-out commitment. When you talk about real commitment, following Christ is not casual, it's not occasional, but it's a continuous commitment. It's a way of a life that should apply to our lives all the time and everywhere we go. It's not something we lay aside. I'm pretty committed to Christ on Sundays from about 9 to 11.30. But, God, really, God, on, on Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, I'm committed to work. I'm committed to making a buck. I'm committed to having a good time. No, all the time. Every place committed to him. We're going to look kind of briefly at three different examples in the Gospel of Luke of three men that Luke tells us about that demonstrates different types of commitment or lack thereof. It's in Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 57. And instead of reading the whole text right now, even though that slide shows that, we're going to go on to the next slide. It says, challenging the comfortable disciple. The first few verses of that section of Scripture. Verse 57, it says, As they were going along the road, Jesus' disciples are on the, on the they're walking. And someone comes to him, and it says, it just refers to him as someone in Luke, but if you turn to Matthew, you've done, if you'll find out that this someone happens to be a scribe. He's a teacher. Kind of a little bit of a big shot. That's who comes to him and says, Look what he says. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says this to him. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, if you just read that in the natural, you go, what the heck kind of answer is that? I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Well, you know what? The birds don't have a nest to sleep in. What do you mean? Jesus knew 
this man's heart. And he's teaching us something about this man's heart. He was a scribe. He wanted to be involved. Now, some of this, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining this in my mind, so this isn't Scripture, but, I, you know, if I'm one of these guys who's a teacher of the Word, i am kind of got a f- group of followers, and I'm watching what this guy named Jesus is doing, I might want to just come alongside him and let a little bit of the success rub off on me. And he says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue what you're saying. Jesus wanted him to understand what it was going to cost him. That he needed to set aside his earthly securities. Notice I said earthly securities. He's saying, you know what? The birds have a nest. I don't even have a place to put my head down. In other words, you're going to follow me. You're not even going to know where you're going to sleep tonight. You're not going to know where your next meal is coming from. We don't. You're, you, we might get run out of town. We might get stoned. You don't have any idea what you're saying. The comforts of home are going to disappear. Your earthly securities, gone. But there is a security in following Jesus. It's the security of God's faithfulness to us. It's the security of knowing there's a life beyond this one that nothing can take from us. He's telling this man, who probably came with a certain amount of sincerity saying, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus was subtly or not so subtly saying, you got to count the cost. You're not going to be comfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable. Count the cost. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he said, gains it. There's a commitment to self-denial. There's a commitment to sacrifice. There's a commitment to service. And there's a commitment to suffering for Christ. It's not comfortable. Jesus promised us. He's been persecuted. We are going to be. He suffered. We're going to suffer. Paul says, I rejoice in the suffering, counting the cost. We don't want to be those who only follow when it suits us. The second man This one is a little different because the second man doesn't come and offer. Jesus actually extends the invitation to him like he extended to the other disciples, the other 12. It's as if he's saying, hey, you want to come and join the inner circle? My disciples. He says in verse 59, and Jesus said to another, follow me. The man responds, but Lord, but Lord. How many of our responses to the Holy Spirit start with the word but? It's not good. But Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Sounds pretty reasonable to me. Jesus says to him, allow the dead to bury their dead, but it's for you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now, when you first read that, you think, come on. Can't I at least go bury my dad? Well, you need to know maybe a little bit about the the history of the culture at that time. If that guy's dad had just died, he wouldn't be out on the streets and highways and byways. He would be mourning for at least the first day, and typically they buried him in day one or day two. Or if there was a burial that already took place, in a lot of the Jewish culture, there was actually a second burial. They would bury him. This is kind of gross. A year later, they'd come back 
and go into the tomb and then just get the bones and put the bones in a little box and then bury that in the wall. So however you look at it, this guy's dad may have just been old. We don't know for sure. And he's saying, can't I just wait until I buried my father? I mean, that's the Jewish thing to do. Or he might have been in that year time frame waiting to, for the second burial. It really doesn't matter because when we look at Jesus, we know that he's not going to be hurtful and harsh and mean here. He's revealing something to this man and to us. He wanted to follow on his own terms. How many of us want to follow Jesus on our own terms? Lord, I respond to your call, but here's the conditions that I lay out. You know, a commitment to Jesus needs to take precedent over everything else. Everything else. Priorities, again. Who comes first? Every earthly commitment falls under our commitment to the Lord. And I believe also, at the very least, Jesus might have been also stressing the urgency of his mission. Jesus knew he was only going to walk on the earth for so long. And this guy says, he extends the invitation to this guy, come follow me. He said, we have an urgent message. We're here to, to see the power of sin and death broken. We're to go proclaim the gospel. You don't understand how urgent this message is. You don't understand how important it is. I mean, Jesus was committed. He was all in. It's a million-year-old story, but it's kind of like the story about the pig and the chicken, right? Let's provide breakfast. Oh, yeah, easy for you to say. You're only involved. I am fully. It's going to cost me my life. Jesus is saying this to us. It's, it's urgent, and the message is still urgent today. Our priority to represent Jesus. Don't only follow him when it's convenient. Don't just give him the leftovers. The leftovers of your time, your energy, your finances, your commitment. That's not commitment at all. And the third one, Jesus comes and he's walking down the street and another one comes up to him and says, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. You know, again, it just seems like there's such a disconnect to the question or the statement and then his answer. And again, it almost sounds harsh. I mean, really, I can't go back and say goodbye to my family members? I don't understand. What's the big deal here? I'll follow, let me paraphrase. I'll follow you in a little bit. I just got a few things I got to take care of. And it would have cost him. Count the cost. Golly, you, you just left? You just got up and left? You didn't even tell anybody you were leaving? You didn't go tell your mom and dad you were leaving? Jesus knew the heart of this man, and he knows the heart of most of us. When he calls and we don't respond and we tell him we'll do it in just a little bit, we, he knows that we're going to get so caught up in the distractions of the world, we're going to change our mind. Or those that we talk to will change our mind for us. I'm going to follow Jesus. I, you know what? I'm going to go to a church where they preach the word. I know they talk in tongues. That's a little weird. But I'm going to go, well, you're going to do what? Those guys are nuts. I think they're a cult. Don't even walk in the doors of that building. Yeah, you're probably right. People still, praise God that people still say that about this church. I am so excited that at least they still think we're nuts. 
Because in the world's mindset, we're supposed to be nuts. We're supposed to be weird, crazy. Don't act stupid. That's not what I'm just saying. We're supposed to be that different. Thank goodness. I hope more and more people think that. And then they come. And they find out why. Because we're committed to Jesus. We're not just fans. We don't want to just be involved. We want to follow him. I think Jesus knew that this guy's request would end up keeping him in his old life. Our first commitment. You know, and we know God... God wants us to be committed to our family. He wants us to honor our mother and father. He wants us to be committed to our spouse. He wants us to be committed to our children. We know all that. So he's not saying don't do any of that. He's just saying, remember, I'm number one. I'm number one. And guess what? If he's number one, all the other commitments work out so much better. So much better. Divided interest. You know, he pictures, he talks about that picture of plowing. Now, some of you don't even know what a, a moldboard plow, plow is. You know, I used to get on the tractor. Shoot, Dad wouldn't even let me open a field. He'd have to go out first and make a couple rounds. Because when I would do it, you know, nice, no, I'd be over here and back here and back here. You know, he finally he says, Mike, when you start at this end, take, put your eyes on that post right there and don't take your eyes off it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Seagulls, who doesn't get distracted by all the seagulls, you know? And no matter when I look up, I can line right up with that post. Until I get to the other end, and I look back, and it's like, geez, Dad's going to never let me do this again. A little later in life, I was saying, gee, I hope he never lets me do this again. (laughs) But that's his point. Don't look back. Just go forward. Stay focused on your commitment to Christ. You know, when Elijah called Elisha, two prophets... For those of you that aren't aware, in the Old Testament, man, Elijah is the prophet amongst prophets. And he lays his mantle upon Elisha and calls him. You know what Elijah was doing when he passes his mantle? It says he was out with a whole bunch of oxen plowing. You know what he did after Elijah called him? He killed all the oxen and used the plow for the fire to sacrifice to God. He wasn't going back. He made sure he wasn't going back. There was no oxen to plow with anymore. There wasn't even a plow. And that's what it's supposed to be like for us. Are we committed to Christ? One of my favorite scriptures, I share this way too often probably, but I like it. Philippians 3.13. I fail at it miserably, but it's still my life verse. I love this verse. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid a hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, don't look back, and reaching forward, to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it takes to be committed. I'm not going to look back. The enemy wants you looking back all the time. Everything we talked about and sang about, the prophetic words, the encouragement, was all about don't looking back. God's going to change things. Look forward. When we are committed to him, it's like when we're committed to him, we are beginning to really walk out the destiny that he has for us that will create the greatest blessing and satisfaction in our life you can imagine. The enemy wants us to look to the left or the right and tries to tell us, see what you got to give up? See what you got to give up? See what you got to give up? No. It's all lies. Walking out that destiny that God's called for us is the greatest thing there could ever be. 
being a committed caller of Christ. I'm going to close with a story. The story is of a, a man who wanted to sell his house and he lived on the, in the little island of Haiti, in the country of Haiti. The houses weren't worth much, but he had a little house and he wanted to sell it for $2,000. And there was another man who wanted to buy that house in the worst way because he didn't even have a house for his family. But he couldn't come up with the $2,000, so he kept negotiating with this guy and finally they decided on a price. The man says, that owned the house says, I tell you what I'll do. I'll sell it to you for $1,000. But I get to keep ownership of one nail. That nail that hangs directly or it's right over the doorway of your house. That nail still is mine. The guy says, great deal. He buys the house. And he's happy as could be living in this house. Who cares about one silly nail? After a number of years had passed and the original owner of the house wanted to buy it back. And he went to the current owner of the house and says, I want to buy the house back. I'll even pay you a little bit more than you paid me. He goes, no, we like the house. We're not moving. We're not leaving. No, really, I want to buy the house. No. So the negotiations didn't work. The original owner of the house went and he found, I don't want to offend any of you animal lovers, but he went and found the carcass of a dog. And he went back to his one nail on that house and he hung that carcass of the dog right on that nail. And after a short period of time, that house became totally unlivable because that decaying, rotting, stinking carcass of a dog hanging over the front door. The guy had to move out, forced the family to sell the house. That is a picture for us of the reality of the Christian life, the potential danger we're in when there's only that one area of our life that's uncommitted to Christ. That one area of our life that can become a real rotting stench, a snare, a trap that prevents us from being fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. And for each one of us, it's a different thing. You know, I, 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 I confess before you, I have been all three of those people, and at times I still am one of them. At times, I'm going to follow when it suits me. At times, I'm going to just give God the leftovers. At other times, you know what, it'd kind of be nice to keep my options open here. But the reality is, all of those things will cause me to fall so short of what God's called me to do, called you to do. What is that one thing? You know, chances are it's a lot more attractive than a rotting, decaying carcass. More often than not, it's kind of one of your favorite things. But in the spiritual, it is a rotting, decaying thing that's keeping you from being fully committed followers of Christ. The last scripture is in Psalms. 37, it says, commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he will do it. Do what? The way. You commit your way to him, and he will fulfill it. You you trust it. And look at the next verse. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light for your judgment as the noonday. When we surrender and commit our lives to him, it's going to be like this great big billboard drawing other people to Jesus when we commit our lives fully to him. As was encouraged earlier this morning when Glenn shared, I want to just close in prayer with this prayer. Father, I pray 
that you would shine, shine your light and your Holy Spirit on our lives and reveal to us that one nail, that thing that, that we're holding on to. And God, and I thank you that you won't overwhelm us with a whole list. But show us that one thing. And then show us the next and the next. God, that we would truly be committed to you and committed to your mission of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, seeing the power of sin and death broken, seeing people walk into salvation, walk into an abundant life through what Christ has done. And give us the grace to release it, to set it aside. Help us to, by your power, by your grace, to rearrange the priorities in our life. And Lord, I pray you would also guard our hearts and guard our minds that we would never fall into that trap of religion or legalism, but God, that it's all about our heart. Guard our hearts. God, I pray these things that you would receive all the glory, all the honor. Lord, I pray you would watch over us as we go our different ways today. Be with us. Help us to see and hear and be aware of your divine appointments that we might share the good news of Jesus with others. It's in his name we pray. Amen.